Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. Today, I'm joined by a gentleman who needs no introduction. He is one of the best speakers I've ever heard on the planet. He's produced so many incredible books on the topic of slow and the slow movement. He's known as the godfather of slow. And more recently, he wrote a book called Boulder. So I guess now that makes him the godfather of the non-aging community or the message that we've covered in previous podcasts on how to rock your years as you grow older, how to own it. So today we're going to catch up again. This isn't a podcast where we have a specific topic to talk about, but it's more of a conversation. We want to talk about really how the slow movement has changed over the last two years. And we're also going to be talking about here is an incredible new program called 30 Days to Slow, which for a lot of our community is something that is very important in their life. I know as a corporate person, I struggled with slowing down. It really made me feel overwhelmed a lot of the times. I was rushing around. And I know a lot of our listeners are in the corporate world probably can relate to how it feels. And over many you know, months and years of going at such a fast pace, running from one errand to another, from one meeting to another, and now from one Zoom call to another, it can make us feel overwhelmed and over time make us feel anxious. And one thing I've noticed is that the pandemic and lockdowns and restrictions and people now working from home is that I thought it would give people a lot more time to slow down, you know, smell the roses, meditate. But I'm finding they're actually cramming in a lot more meetings in their day. So whilst we have an extra hour and a half by not traveling to and from work, getting dressed, shaving, we're actually doing more work. So just wanted to check in today with you all to review that challenge in our life and talk all things slow. So on that note, Carl Honore, welcome to our podcast once again. Thank you very much, Sam. It's always a big pleasure to be with you all. Fantastic. So you're in uh, London, of course, where your home base is, and uh, you've recently come out of lockdown. Yeah. Now, so how does Huge that relief. how does that feel? What's the vibe in the city at the moment? Because uh, a lot of our followers who are in Sydney, we just don't know how it feels. Everything is absolutely normal here. So what's it been like uh, being in your homes cooped up for so many months? First lockdown started about 13 months ago, and we we came out a couple of times. But I read somewhere recently that Britain we have spent more months in lockdown than anywhere else on the planet. And goodness me, I'll tell you at the end of it, I can believe that statistic, right? Because I have two words for you, which are cabin fever. And I like the four walls that I live within, but I am pretty sick of the sight of them. And I'm desperately keen to get out more into the world. And that's been the feeling here. We're now 10 days since Britain opened up again. And the mood was very much kind of demob happy. Yeah. So there was just this surge of people rushing out to outdoor pubs. I live on a street here where they closed off the main street and every square inch of the road was covered in tables with bars and restaurants just flooding out into the street. I woke up in the morning and outside in the front of my house were empty beer glasses and half-eaten pizzas. But it was just an awful American spring break <laughs> movie in Florida. So I think it taps into what you were saying at the beginning there a little bit that people having been held back and forced to slow down, forced to do less, suddenly they get a chink of freedom and they just go crazy, right? They just go mad. So that's what's happening in the short term. I feel that's not gonna go on forever. People will get it out of their system and then they'll 
come back to the center somewhere and find a, a balance point where, yeah, they're going out, they're having fun, they're seeing people, but they aren't ripping up the city and leaving pizza on my front door step every night. <laughs> <laughs> At least I hope so, right? Well, one of our frameworks includes the tree of friendship, which fills a fundamental human need for belonging, obviously. So with that in mind, the fact that people are just pouring out onto the streets and connecting again shows that we really crave social connections. So tell us a little about that and how people's behaviors changed when they couldn't get that social connection. We want to talk about slow and the program, but I just want to get some context around what was going on in people's minds. Were people really struggling, not being able to connect with others? We only went into lockdown for six weeks and people lost their mind, right? Yeah. In Australia. Six weeks, man. That is child's play compared to what we've been through. Yeah. That's been the, the drumbeat all the way through the lockdown is yeah. people have felt cut off and deprived of human contact. And we are social animals, as you say, and all the work you do and so on. And you've just said it again there that we thrive on human relationships. There's nothing worse for the human animal than loneliness and solitude. And people have paid a very heavy price. One of the things you hear most when people talk about the, the pain and the damage inflicted by the lockdown, it was the loss of those small, slow human moments, like going to a funeral or being there when your grandmother celebrated her birthday stuff like that, the really simple things that you can't download from Amazon and you can't have brought to your door by Deliveroo, right? These are things that occur when we take time and are present and slow down with each other to a kind of human pace and a human rhythm. And that just got obliterated by the pandemic because it was just gone. And so that's the thing I think people have yearned for most. Sure, when the doors opened up again, people went for the beer and the pizza, but really what they were going for was just being with other human beings together in, in a shared space. And, and I think that's been the big lesson or one of the big lessons of the pandemic is that what really lights us up, what really makes life worth living is the human side of things. It's the human contact. And that's what I think one of the lessons people are going to take forward from the pandemic. So uh, that's a very good point you make. Do you think that that human behavior now has shifted and where people are now turning to the uh, simple things in life like human connection? So we are now appreciating our freedoms a lot more and Things that we took for granted, like going over someone's place or going for a walk in the park with your dog. Do you feel like that's a permanent shift or do you think that's a temporary holiday, if you it's, like? Yeah, I'm always, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't say for sure, but I feel that part of it will be permanent. I, I do suspect there'll be some pinging back to the old ways of racing around yeah. like headless chickens, buying stuff we don't need and not spending enough time with our loved ones. Is That's not going to disappear overnight. But I do think that we've been through this long enough now. And when you look at all the studies into how long it takes to change habits, to break habits, to form new habits, goodness me, 13 months of realizing that how important social connection mm -hmm. is and also being forced in many people to be at home, spend time with their family they never spent before, time with their partner and so on. And seeing the wonderful side of that, I, I think that for many people it will stick and, and it will carry forward. And in fact, even though we're already only just less than two weeks out of lockdown here, you can see people already maintaining some of those connections, whether it's still talking with a neighbor that they didn't know before who lived three doors up the road or doing things they couldn't do before, but they did virtually. People who would have drinks virtually or people who started speaking more. To, I've got a friend who began speaking to his mother every other day on Zoom, having spoken to her every other month right before. And he's now that he can see her, she lives on the other side of London. He's now going across London to see her face to face in a way he didn't before. So I do think some of those things are going to remain with us, thankfully. So has the pandemic and the lockdowns and this shift, this reset 
if you like, where we've hopped off the hedonic treadmill, has it slowed people down? How has it changed the slow movement? Is it easier yeah. to slow down now? What, what's happening? It's a complex picture because in some ways it's easier, in some ways it's harder. <laughs> Let's start with how it's harder. I, I think two key things. One, of course, as you come out of lockdown, there's a temptation just to go crazy. D-mob happy, you want to do all the stuff you couldn't do before. So I think there's a slight, it's not quite FOMO, but it's sub cousin of FOMO, right? As people come out of all this time of deprivation, yep. they're just going nuts. They're gorging themselves at the, the, whole, the hotel buffet in the morning, that kind of scenario. I, I think a lot of that, you can't sustain that won't last, but that's something we're seeing in the short term now. The other thing I think that makes it harder to slow down is the way that technology has come into our lives in such a pervasive way. In some ways that's been great, but in other ways, people have lost control a little bit over tech in the home and they find themselves doing 29 Zoom meetings in a day or not switching off or finding it impossible to put the laptop away. They're always sneaking back to look to see what's happening in the work slack and that sort of thing. So I think that's been a, a difficult challenge for some people to deal with. Some people dealt with it admirably and have managed to use the tech at home to get the stuff done, get it done more efficiently, get it done more quickly get it done better, and then use that time wisely to go for a walk or do a puzzle with their child or make love to their partner, whatever all those things that got squeezed out by our busy schedules and our long commutes and our days in the office before. So it's a mixed picture, partly on a macro level, but it's also a mixed picture person to person because deep people have dealt with it differently. But I do think we've had this long period of reflection because there's just been less to do. And that I know a lot of people filled that space with endless Netflix watching and scrolling through social media. But that, I think many people have also clawed back time just to be with their own thoughts. And that's why you're seeing a huge surge in the social media and in media in general of stories of people who've spent these months looking at their lives and saying, you know what? What I had before wasn't right. I was sleepwalking through my life. I was racing through it instead of living it. I'm going to reset. I'm going to change. So many people are coming out of the pandemic now and are changing career, moving to a different company within the same sector. They're leaving, say, London and moving to a smaller town or the countryside. Big epic changes, seismic shifts that only come around when you take the time to slow down and ask the big questions, confront yourself, work out what's right for you, and then take the steps. So I think that's going to be another silver lining for people, that that, that good slow of reflection and pushing pause. A lot of people have had that, forced upon them, <laughs> uh, but they've had it. And I think they're moving forward in a, in a hopeful way with it. They're the things that I've been thinking about as well and how it would impact society. And I know our government, I was recently at a business summit where our government is now pushing decentralization and saying, we don't want millions of people descending on one central business district. We don't want people commuting anymore. We want hubs everywhere where you can work at home and, and still have a local community where you can still go to a pub, have a pizza, because at the moment, everything in Australia is geared towards the suburbs are boring and you have to go into the city for nightlife. So the planning laws are changing. People will have more time. But I get the sense that if a person is addicted to fast-paced lifestyle, that they're going to continue that habit. Mm. So if they have more time, they're just going to cram more things into them. Okay, so we have more time by not commuting. We have more, as I mentioned earlier, one and a half, some of our staff have now an extra two hours with their time, but it comes back down to the personality. So we, we can talk about the slow movement in generic terms, but ultimately, no matter the circumstances, even society and the pandemic and restrictions, the new way of living is sending a message 
you know, to rethink your life, how does a person who's a type A personality, who's addicted to speed, how do they slow down? And firstly, maybe you can answer the why do they need to slow down? In your experience, what are the negative aspects, negative consequences of that mentality? And then if we can then talk about some of the things they can do to slow down. And and also if we can talk about your 30 days to slow, which I've read about and I absolutely love. So I, I want to download as much as possible about that. And at the end of this podcast, we provide an offer to our community to sign up to that program because I've read your books and I've implemented and I've been lucky enough to talk to you. So slowing down has really had a dramatic impact. It was a game changer in my life. It was many years ago, it was 2010, when I implemented a lot of your techniques. And often people, when they feel overwhelmed because they're going at such a fast pace, speed equals stress equals physiological problems, whether it's indigestion and what have you. And then they look to vitamins, supplements, meditation courses, but often they just need to slow down. Exactly. Yeah. Let's, let's treat the cause. So firstly, why is it important for someone who might be like myself in denial at the moment when I was in my 30s and 40s? It was like, what? This is slowing down as for suckers. Like I'm on a mission. I can handle it. I was in denial, but then I hit the wall. I think that's the whole thing. You can handle it until you can't, right? That's the kicker here. But what, what are the problems or yeah. what are the, what's the fallout from it? I think it's a long laundry list. You touched on some of it there. The, the, we're bumping up against the limits of what the human body can take. So we're paying a price. You mentioned indigestion and there's all the kind of getting locked in fight or flight response and all the harm that does to so many parts of our body, the nervous system, we're just stress all leading to cardiovascular problem. And there's just all kinds of physical things. It's very often the body that sends the message that you're going way too fast and you just get sick in one form or another, right? That's the, the signal that it, you've gone too far and you, you now need to stop whether you like it or not. I think also we pay a price emotionally and in terms of mental health. And I think this boom in mental health problems is connected as well to this racing around. Human beings, we need time to recharge physically. We also need time to recharge mentally, to replenish ourselves inside our minds, our spirits. We need time for reflection. We need time to let our minds wander. Uh, to ponder, to get bored even, right? We need all of that stuff to to reset. Uh, that's why every great religion in the world has a Sabbath, right? A day of rest. It has prayer, which is a moment of pause and reflection. The, the, these are basic human needs. They've always been there and we still have them, right? We try to uh, you know avoid them and ignore them with, as you say, pills and endless cups of coffee and stuff. But that's just kicking the problem downfield to make it worse later on. You also pay a ter- price in terms of productivity. You, you can only squeeze so much productivity out of a human being before productivity peaks and then falls off a cliff. We know also that creativity is tied very intimately to slowing down and being present and letting your mind wander. You're less creative if you only have one mode of work and that's turbo. You also lose out on human relationships because human relationships are slow. They require time, attention. You just need to be with people. And that's something we lose as well when we have 923 friends on Facebook, but when was the last time we spent a whole afternoon just kicking a ball around in the park or going for a coffee with one of them? And I think happiness pleasure. You can't enjoy things fully if you're trying to do nine things at the same time. So I, there's just so many things that get lost along the way. And then I, that's the individual level. I think we also lose collectively. The environment is paying a price for our turbo consumption approach to the world. And we also get disconnected from communities, from ourselves. We become obsessed with our own to-do lists and we become less good citizens, I think, when we get stuck in fast forward. So there's a pretty big cocktail of of problems to go along right so the second question was how do you slow down actually before we get to that i just for those of you that are listening now i i just want to make the point that 
you might walk around with a number of physical ailments, brain fog, relationship problems, that challenges, let's call them challenges. So all those areas, Carl, that you just called out, physical, your mental, emotional, often they're not enough to tip us over the edge. So you're walking around still functional, but you get to a point where all these little problems that are caused by speeding up, build up, and then you start losing function. You start becoming less creative. You start being less fun to be around with your friends. You start compromising your intimacy with your partner. You start compromising if you play sport, your competitive nature. I, I just want people that who are listening to stop and think if you have any of these problems, sometimes you can walk around thinking that, oh my God, I've got so many health issues. I've got this blood test that says this. I've got a bit of brain fog. I've got problems in my relationship. That's too hard. I, I don't want to stop and think about it. We'll just keep going and just deal with the dysfunction as it happens. And so you walk around with these myriad of problems thinking that it's just too complex. And you might rush to pills or doctors or meditation courses and what have you. But as I made the point earlier, sometimes it is as simple as slowing down. When you <laughs> slow down and suddenly all these problems, I, I say that because I've had a myriad of problems and I kept trying to put band-aids when all I needed to do was slow down. And I promise you what, for those of you who are listening, thinking, oh, it's just my nature, I'm going to go, I can relate. But the moment that I started slowing down, my relationships improved, never been fitter. I actually look younger and my performance at work became off the charts. So it might sound like a contradiction that you'll slow down and somehow you're going to be missing out on things or your performance is not going to be as good, but it actually has the opposite, opposite effect. Is. So I wanted to make that point because Carl, a lot of people walk around thinking they have so many problems and don't realize that sometimes it's just one. Yeah. They <laughs> have what they have, they have lots of symptoms, but they have one problem. A lot of people is stress caused by speed, stress caused by a haste, a lifestyle that is just go. And you don't know you're in that vortex. You really don't. When you're in that mindset, you don't know that you have a problem. And it's an addiction, just like an addiction to alcohol or gambling. I had that addiction to speed. And I'm repeating myself, but when I recognize that, step one, Step two, I adopted the principles that was in your book, In Praise of Slow. My world completely changed. And that's why we connected after that. I think I wrote to you because you changed my life. And we've had you talk to our community on two Upgrade Your Life events. Incidentally, Carl will hopefully be with us at Upgrade Your Life 2022, which is on January 22 and 23 because travel is now allowed. Hopefully it'll still be then, but that's the plan. That's a big why we just went through, why you need to slow down. Carl, I want to then get you to continue what you were saying after that. Yeah. I'll just throw in a phrase that occurred to me as you were talking there about addiction, which is a word I use for speed as well, that we become speedaholics. And I think a lot of people are like high functioning speedaholics. So like a high functioning alcoholic, they just they're getting through, they're managing on the surface, everything seems okay. But just below the surface, there's all these problems that they can just get. They'll swap that away, cover that up with a little quick fix, they'll move on, they'll keep going, like you said. And then any yes. high functioning alcoholic, boom, one day it's game over, right? You've, you've hit the wall. And so the idea of slowing down in my conception is you, you don't wait till you hit the wall. You start now <laughs> and you start small, right? That's a big part of the spirit of all the work I do. And it's what I've poured into 
the workbook 30 Days to Slow, which I now do these boot camps for. And it's the idea that you don't snap your fingers and in instantly reconnect with your inner tortoise, right? If you're somebody who's a like an alcoholic, you don't suddenly get over the urge to neck a beer in a week. In fact, it's probably always going to be with you. You have to be aware of it and alert to it. And that's the same with speedaholism. It takes time. You're going to take two steps forward and then maybe one back and then one sideways. It's all the temptation, especially if you're a naturally fast person like you and me, like natural sort of type A type people, the temptation to go too fast is always going to be lurking there somewhere. And you just got to be alive to it and short circuit it when it comes across your radar. So what, what I did with the, the 30 Days to Slow workbook was take everything I've learned in the last sort of 15 years of you know working with companies and people, individuals, families, schools, and just took all of what I felt were the best tools and techniques for just taking those steps, right? Not one big leap that turns you into the Dalai Lama or some Zen master next month, but to find the best version of you, right? A slow version of you. And so it's, it, the book is divided into sort of four sections, looking at work, play, relationships, and so on. And, and each one has sets of exercises that you can do. And one of the first things I start off with that the book starts off with, I was a technique I've used with a lot of people is, is creating a not to do list. So part of the problem nowadays is that we're so obsessed with doing more and more that we're constantly cramming things in. You touched on it earlier that we saving time with the pandemic, less commuting, but what do we do with that time we've saved? We jam in more zoom meetings. We cram in more social media. We, we just fill it up because we think, Oh no, dead time. The word itself, dead time is just horrifying. You think, oh, I'm wasting my time. So what do I do? I rush, I cram more in. Worst way to use your time. Sometimes you need to stop, just do nothing or do less in, with that time. So the not to do list is the idea of creating a, we all have a to do list of some sort. You have a not to do list. You move things across from one to the other. And it's very useful, I think, conceptually to have a physical place where you keep the things that you have said no to, because saying no is such a crucial part of slowing down. And it's a really hard thing to do because we've become a planet full of yes men and yes women. We say yes to everything, right? And then usually we end up regretting it because we've taken on too much, but we're still saying yes. And you cannot slow down if you don't say no. My book is called In Praise of Slow, the original. It could be called In Praise of No. So the big part of the, that first technique is the moving things onto the not to-do list and creating time and space and oxygen in your schedule for other things to give the things that really matter. Because when you say no to stuff that doesn't matter, you're saying a big yes to things that do. And you're also, you're giving them the space and time they need. You're also creating space for just serendipity for things to happen or nothing to happen just to recharge and re replenish. One final thought on the not to do list is that it's a super useful thing to keep them because six months from now, you look at your not to do list and think of the things that you pulled off the to do list and didn't do. And in the moment of doing that, you think, oh no, this is a terrible sacrifice. I, I'm really missing out here. I'm losing out. It's terrible. I'm having not to do this. Six months from now, you won't even remember that thing because <laughs> it wasn't that important. 99% of the things we do day to day are not that important. They're just not. The trouble is that in the moment, they feel unmissable. They feel undroppable. They're not. And, and I think having the not to do list gives you that longer term perspective to look back and think, you know what? So much of what I persuade myself I need to rush into my schedule, I don't. And once you start getting that not to do list going, God, it's such a liberation. And that's something I found. I've done a couple of boot camps already with 30 days to sell with people. And that's one of the things they've found 
most helpful is just doing that not to-do list. Fantastic. That's a really good technique. I love it. Absolutely love it. So if someone that's listening right now, they're thinking, how do I know what to put on the not to-do list? Mm. What is a priority? What is not? I think that's where people have difficulty with. Yeah. The other reason why people have to say yes these days more than ever, 40, 50 years ago, I think people didn't have a problem with <coughs> saying no. But now yes. the urge to be liked is so huge. Like we want to be liked. And when you say no, you risk being ostracized by your friends. So if you get an invitation, you say no a couple of times, the invitations stop. And they think Carl or Sam is not really interested in our friendship group or a client might think that I always cycle through the eight areas of life. You know what my North Star is. I think for me, my to-do list has to be in one of those areas. So it has to tick one of those circles. If it's to do Pilates for 30 minutes, I say, yes, that's important. So I'm going to do that. Spending half an hour or one hour with Katrina over lunch together, talking or having a cup of coffee, tick. I need to do that. So I go through the eight areas of life, cycle through them and say, if what I'm doing fills a fundamental human need in one of these eight areas, then I'm going to say yes to those. Everything else, I say no. Now, is that a good technique? Yeah, that's a very good technique, I think. You could probably nuance it a little bit and say, let's say, take a day and you've got 10 things. You're trying to work out which is most important and you map it over onto your constellation of eight and you're trying to work at the priorities because mm. some of those 10 items will probably tick two boxes. Maybe some will tick three. So you, that helps you arrange them. And you may find that you get to the very bottom of the 10 list and one of them only ticks one box and you think, okay, for this particular day, that one's going to go, right? So you, you don't necessarily have a kind of iron rule that if you tick one box, you're in. Because maybe that day, everything else that you do ticks two boxes, right? Or you just know that you need a moment of just, you're just feeling a bit of overwhelm. You need just to disconnect for an hour and you need that one thing to go to create that space. I think what you want to avoid doing is creating a, a super rigid straitjacket system, like an algorithm or a filtration system. It just automatically tells you. Because what's so important about this technique is that it not just become the technique itself. It's a spur to reflection. So that in each moment that an invitation is arriving or at any moment that you're looking at your schedule, you're always bringing awareness, thinking, okay, what actually matters to me now? And, and then becomes instinctive, I think. You almost don't need to be doing checking off against the list. You just look at the list and think, yeah, I know that's so important. You don't need to put words on it. You just know. But that's a process. You get there over time. I do think you're very right to say, at the be- certainly at the beginning, to have some kind of external checklist. Your eight boxes is a great one. That Those are very helpful. I would add another one, which is a slightly different technique, which is to think, if you're looking at an item today, thinking, how important is this? Project yourself into the future and think, three months from now, look back. How important is that item going to look? And that just that little shift in perspective can be game-changing in that moment. You can suddenly think, oh, you know what? Actually, it's not as important as it actually felt two seconds ago. So just little lever pulls like yes. that can throw a new light on things and, and make it a lot easier. And it's important to remember that this takes time. Slowing down is slow, right? You learn these techniques over time. You don't just read it in the workbook and it works perfectly tomorrow forever. You're adapting it and each person will use the technique slightly differently with their own criteria in their own way. But I think you want to get to a point ultimately, and this is going to take time where it's more instinctive than having a kind of checklist system. But the checklist will be in the back of your mind. Your eight points will be helping. They'll be informing your instinctive choice, right? Yeah. In fact, I talk about a lot on this podcast, the eight areas of life, which is our framework for holistic living. I I talk about the importance of energy 
as the number one currency ahead of time, ahead of money. So if you've had a great night's sleep and you wake up and you're full of energy and you have a long to-do list and you think, okay, I think I can get through this today without having to speed up because I think if your energy is low, you've had poor sleep and cognitively you're not on the ball, then you're forced to speed up because you'll find a task that might normally take you two minutes is now taking you five minutes. Or even if it's three minutes, it's still a 30% reduction in your capacity. So when I wake up in the morning and I've got a, a podcast on this, I call it, what does my great day look like? What does my average day look like? What does my bad day look like? If you're having an average day or, or a bad day, and for me, it's, it's all about your energy levels. So if I have high energy for that day, to me, that's a great day right? Meaning I can get through my to-do list in the eight areas of life. My journaling, and I've recorded a podcast on this. It was the first episode for the 2021 calendar year. It was about journaling. So when I journal in the morning, I literally go through the eight areas. I start with my health, love, family, work, friendship, learning, wealth, and charity. And I go through that and I come up with a to-do list basically next to each one. So for health, for example, it might be go for a 20-minute jog in the morning, do meditation at lunchtime, do Pilates in the evening, or it might be to buy a supplement. Whatever it is, it's about my health. Not, not just physical, but mental and emotional, like you said. Then I'll go, I'll cycle through each one of the areas of life and I'll go, love, okay, what am I going to do with my partner today? What's my energy levels? What is my time constraints? Sometimes it could be as simple as writing a little love note or a beautiful text message or making a date to have a bath together or whatever it is, or give each other a massage. Then I go through to the family as well and say, okay, what am I going to do with my kids today? When I have full energy, I don't need to prioritize those eight areas. I say yes to the things that I can categorize in those eight areas that matter in those eight areas. But on the average days and the bad days that I mentioned earlier, where I have to prioritize because I know my energy levels are just not there, then this is where saying no is an absolute beautiful skill to have because I rate them in this order, health, love, family, work, friendship, learning, wealth, and charity. So you notice in that order, meaning that if my friends call me at lunchtime and say, come out for a long lunch, it's a two hour long lunch, we're gonna have beer and pizza. And But I know friendship for me comes fifth on my list of priorities. But I know that I have to pick up my daughter from school or I know I have an important meeting for work. So I'm gonna, know, I'm gonna say no to the friends, mm. right? So for people that are listening, the, the priority in which you rank these eight areas is specific to you based on your value system. Some people value friendship above work, family, love, and health. And that's fine because there's no judgment there. It, we all rank those um, eight areas differently. Whenever I do workshops, I get people to rank it. And I'm surprised at how, how many people are different. Oh my goodness, uh, yeah. Some people are gym junkies and they just say, my health is number one and I'll spend three, four hours, but then they neglect the other parts of their life. So for them, they need to say no to a few things, no to the extra class, extra spin class. So yeah. some of the things you need to say no to on other days, maybe the things you should say yes to. It's about the priorities in that day. And it's, that's why journaling is so key in the morning to say, how am I feeling? What is my energy? Can I get through all this? And if you journal, 
And I think that's the time where you can adopt your technique, Carl. That's the perfect time to check in and say, okay, what things do I need to say no to today? Do I need to say no to my friends? Do I need to say no to my client? Do I need to say no to that Pilates class at 6 p.m.? Because I, I need to spend time with my family and cook and clean together and eat together. So it's highly unique, but it's a very important skill. So I, I love that you led with that as your number one technique about in praise of no. I love that. So it's like <laughs> start with your not-to-do list. So I hope I've given it some context for the people who live by our framework, our holistic living framework. So I hope that makes sense to yourself as well, Carl. I love listening to that. I was going to say the language is different, but in a way it's not that different. It completely in harmony with the, how I see the world. And it's these things are, there's two different ways of saying the same thing. Before you started talking about that, you talked about, I just want to pick up some a point you said about how the invitations can dry up and people can get alienated by a no. There's there's also, along with this, the importance of learning how to say no, you know, how to explain a no and how to frame it and to, and often to frame it as a yes, to say it's no today, but, and it's no because of this, making it clear that it's not come some kind of surly, impolite no. It's part of a shift that you're making in your life so that you will be a better friend next time or a better neighbor or a better employee or a better boss or a better citizen or a better partner or a better parent or a better friend or whatever. So yeah. I think you certainly the beginning when you start that journey of, relearning the lost art of saying no you need to bring people along with you and explain the the why of it i'm glad you and raised I find that. people are open to that because they're often locked in the same prison of feeling overwhelmed and to see someone else say you know what the sky is not going to fall in if i don't go to this that or the other or if i put it off to next week or something and it gives them permission then to do the same and i find that in my own circle that other people started <laughs> saying no more once i started saying it and it didn't become an arms race of no it just was you notice them saying, oh, actually, it's okay. His life hasn't ended and goes from there. So you can create a, a virtuous circle. No. <laughs> I love that you've raised that, that to explain because we've always been taught, like, you don't need to explain yourself. No is a no, yeah. yes is a yes. And you don't need to explain yourself. In business, that's drummed into us. It's a bit of an arrogant way of mm. doing business. But I've always felt the need out of courtesy to explain things, to give the reason if I've canceled something. And I get personal. I say, look, I had a doctor's appointment and it's important to me for this reason. But I've had some people say to me, you don't need to give an explanation. You don't owe them an explanation. Mm. But I'm glad you called it out. Uh, to say it's nice. It is. I think that's just a courtesy thing. I, th I think it just smooths the way it softens the no, it, it, it anchors yes. the no in something that, because no, just the word itself, you think of, it's just got bad connotations in our culture. Like, you remember the, the old James Bond movie, the, the villain was Dr. No, it wasn't Dr. No. Yes. <laughs> can you deliver bad vibes and, and leave a bad taste in the mouth? So I think, yeah, anytime you can be courteous, and there's my inner Canadian speaking, anytime you be nice, polite and courteous, Go for it. Play that card. It's always <laughs> the right thing to do. <laughs> well, I want to pause there. I know you're you were born in Canada. You live in London. I was actually born. I was born in Scotland, but I grew up in Canada. Born, that's right. That's right. So give us your 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 history of who Carl Honore is, just as a quick thirty seconds, because you're quite fascinating. I was born in Scotland. I grew up in Canada. I came back to study uh, history and Italian at Edinburgh University. Became a foreign correspondent. So I covered. South America, and then I covered Europe, and then I stumbled into becoming the voice of the slow movement, wrote in praise of slow, and then since then I've gone on to write other books about slowing down, TV shows and radio about it, and then my most recent book is 
Boulder, which is about attitudes to aging and how we can age better and feel better about aging. There's the quick version of <laughs> the slow guy's life. <laughs> and how many languages do you speak? Five. French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, and then obviously English. So yeah, no, I'm, I love languages. It's one of my great joys, along with food and sports. I got lots of joys, but it's one of my favorite things. <laughs> and traveling. Uh, yeah. Although that one's been on the ice for <laughs> 14 months now. But uh. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, let's return to then some of the ways that we can slow down. For those addicts, speed addicts. I'm just thinking really randomly of plucking things out of the workbook. One of the things that I do is I give people at the end of each week, a, a field trip of some sort, something to get away physically from the normal space and go off and do something that helps them slow down. And I think it's the final week I put a little twist in, which is I get people to do some kind of, this taps in with your bubble of charity, is doing something that involves being of service to others or helping others or giving back, which is such a, I, mean, I don't need to explain why it's a good thing. Do we, we know why it's a good thing in so many ways, right? For other people, for ourselves, it's what makes the human race sing, yeah? I always say that we value ourselves in equal proportion to the value we add to others, meaning that yeah. we are happiest when we are helping others. So I, I love that. I really love that. It's also tied in with slowness as well. There's a wonderful African proverb, which goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that kind of encapsulates a lot about what slow is to me and, and to most people, right? It's not just about putting your own house in order. That's really a starting point. It's also about what you do with all that energy that you talked about, the health, getting all that stuff right on the inside is to be a better version of yourself on the outside for and to other people. And so I, I have the, the final field trip in there is just a way of getting people to go in. And it could be anything like you spend an afternoon volunteering in a soup kitchen or helping pick up litter in your neighborhood or uh, giving a tutoring lesson to an underprivileged child or something like that. And it just, and people, it's interesting in the boot camp, a lot of people found that's just been the most people find different things the most but that one is people have loved doing particularly because it's just especially in the pandemic time where i think we've been reminded of how connected we are how much we rely on each other and how much we are better when we stand side by side and reach out and help each other and so that, i think that's really there's been a nice resonance there with the whole pandemic experience having that field trip and it, it's the final one in the book so that's another one that Again, people don't, you don't need to do the workbook to do that. You can do that tomorrow, having heard it now on the podcast. But lots of other things in the workbook. So how do people uh, get a hold of the workbook? And, uh, easy. E less easy in Australia because, unfortunately, the only way to do a workbook like this is through Amazon, which is problematic in many different ways, I understand. But it's the only way to do it. You could order it on Amazon Australia. Very easy. But it, because it's, I don't think it's printed in Australia, it takes a little while to reach there. So it's. I think the last Australian who emailed me said it was a took two weeks to get there, maybe two and a half or something. So it's, it's a slow, it's a slow arrival, right? For the book, 30 days <laughs> slow, plus a couple of weeks for the book to arrive. So it's like, what would that be? 90 days. So maybe it's still, that'd be two months. Yeah. Anyway, it's easy to get, but it, you might have to wait a little while to get it. And then just on the boot camp idea, the way I'm doing it is running the, the boot camps are obviously virtual because I'm in London and everybody's around the world, but we all do the camp together. So there's a Facebook page and people share ideas and get to know each other and the participants support each other. And then we do a regular weekly live chat where I answer questions and people interact. And it's just a nice thing because I think it's, it comes back to that African proverb of 
if you want to go far, go together. I think it's easier to slow down together often than it is to slow down alone. And that's in everything from the personal life to the workplace to your community and so on. So it's, it's added an extra layer of oomph to the whole experience of the book doing it in a boot camp. I think people have really loved the boot camps and I'm loving them too, because for me, it's a way of not only I just love being with people and talking to people and stuff, but I'm also learning as well. And I go through the boot camp myself. So I'm revisiting some of these techniques that for me have become instinctive or maybe even have slightly fallen off the radar for me bringing them back. And so it's like a refresher course I get to do every time I do a boot camp. So it's a lot of fun. It sounds like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that too. So when's the next boot camp and how many weeks does it go for? Yeah, it runs for the four weeks. So the 30 days, I mean, 30 days is a rounder number than 28 days. So it's effectively, it's a month, right? So okay. at the moment I'm planning the next one would be May 5th. That's May 5th, 2021. I'm doing a private, I, so I'm starting to do them for private companies. So I'm doing one for a big corporation in the United States. So I do it for all their staff and so it's, it's just a nice extra thing. So if I'm doing, say, a talk and a keynote, that's all great fun. And it's, it gets people fired up and they're excited. But then any keynote, you come out thinking, where, where do I go from here? What, what are the tools? What do I, what are the levers to pull? And that's where the 30 days to slow workbook comes in. It's saying, okay, you've, you've got all pumped up by the keynote, the ideas, you're fired up and ready to go. You're pumped and primed. Here's the, the handbook. Now, this is what you can actually do tomorrow or start next week. And, and, and it's, for me, it's a pandemic baby. I wrote it during the pandemic. I've been wanting to do it for years, do a workbook, but I just, I don't know. I haven't had the time or the energy or the bandwidth. Suddenly I had all three, thanks to the pandemic. That's been a real silver lining for me is coming out of it with that. So you need to get the workbook first. Yes. Yeah. To, um... And you can't, it's okay. not digital because it's very much a physical object. The idea is that you would, you write in it, you make notes, underline things, and there's a journal in it because journaling is an important part of it too. So it's all there, right? It's a physical okay. object. And once you have that, you can do it on your own. You don't need to follow the boot camp. Many people are doing it on their own and they write to me and say, I'd love doing it on my own. But the boot camp is so much fun, I think. And in a way, I think it's easier, like I said before, to, to do it in a group. It just keeps you accountable. I, I don't want to do more than two in a month. So I, I'm going to do the May one. And that's probably too soon for our community here, the, the um, higher branch and so on. I'm doing it for free. I'm not charging for the boot camp. You only pay for the workbook. But I just thought it might be nice yes. for us because it's such like a family to do it within the group and do it as a separate freestanding thing just Absolutely. for the academy. So if people want to join then the uh, the Facebook group where you do this uh, yeah. live. So what's the name of the group? It's called uh, How to Be Slow with Carl Honoré or something. But if, if you Google, this, the easiest thing is just to Google Carl Honoré, my name, info. And on there, there's lots of different links. And if, if you click into the workbook link, it'll take you to all those different, all the information about how the boot camps run, what's in the workbook, reviews of the workbook, where you can buy, it's all there. So it's, it's very easy. One click and you're in. Excellent. All right. So are there any other techniques you want to share with us before we wrap it up? We will also organize something specific for our community. I mean, I'm just thinking of one technique I did recently. My children were both back from university. And one thing that... I, I recommend in the book and, and everywhere is having slow activities to do together as a family. And one of my favorites is puzzles, like doing really big puzzles. So at Christmas, my son bought me a, a Shakespeare puzzle oh, of London, a thousand pieces. We threw it out on the kitchen table and it was there for the whole time they were here. And we all just sat there sometimes alone, sometimes two, three, four of us just putting the puzzles together. And it was just such a simple Zen. It was just beautiful. And so I would say, if you've got a puzzle kicking around in a dusty cupboard somewhere, get it out put it on a table, it will turn into an oasis of slow in your home. And, and it just injects this sort of different vibe into the family space. And it's, it's easy. I, I love that. I think my wife introduced me to her and her parents uh, do jigsaws all the time together. You can feel the slow wavelengths just 
permeate through the room when you're just around this jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. It's like it group meditation. Up. It's like group meditation. It is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about Upgrade Your Life then. We will be releasing the theme very soon and we'll be announcing a speaker's as they drop into the program. We've spoken offline about what the theme is. In 2021, our theme was going to be Forever Young, which was about longevity. But obviously we had to cancel it because of the pandemic. And then we thought, what will the theme be for 2022? And we've decided on that. I I won't reveal what that is on this podcast in case it gets released before we announce the the theme. We feel like there's an anxiety blanket pretty much that's enveloped the world, especially the Western world, where we're not used to the rug being pulled from underneath us. We like certainty. We like to wake up and watch the Dow Jones creep up half a percent or the worst thing we'd hear about is some uh, hurricane and some faraway land, but we've had this certainty. And I, I feel like people in the Western world have not been able to deal with the uncertainty and that's created a lot of anxiety and especially for a lot of young people that feel that like their youth has been robbed people who are like 16 17 18 they can't go out they can't go to nightclubs they can't have a drink they can't go to you can't dance and this uncertainty has caused a lot of anxiety so we've invited you to talk at Upgrade Your Life and I'd, I'd love to know maybe whether you've thought about what you're going to talk about. Can you give us a hint or you're still working on it? I think the just as a, as a teaser idea, the idea of, it seems to me that the idea of slow is even more relevant now than ever because it's precisely when things are moving around you at a crazy pace, coming at you from unexpected angles. What you need to navigate that is to be, slow and still and in control in the core, in the center. You need to be the calm eye of the storm. And, and the yes. way to get there is slowing down. It's knowing yourself, which comes through slowing down. It's having strong networks around you that support you through uncertainty. And that's also slowing down. It's having a higher purpose and meaning in your life that allows you to rise above the trivial slings and arrows of daily chaos that comes from, you can probably see where I'm going here. That, yeah. that slow is, is going to be your, your superpower, right? For getting through chaos predates the pandemic. I think this was coming at us before in different ways. We've been pushing it away, but the pandemic has really ratcheted up the chaos and the anxiety and the uncertainty. And this is when we need that still core, that solidity that truth more than ever, because without it, we're just buffeted around on the raging seas, like a little tiny life raft. And it's having, it's slow, gives you ballast, right? Gives you solid, a place to stand. It allows you to surf those waves rather than get buffeted by them. So we're in the thick of it still. So before we wrap it up, Carl, you may or may not have, but do you have one story that you can share with us uh, that you've heard during the uh, the last 12 months since the pandemic started that's inspiring or thought-provoking? Yeah, can you gosh, think of any? Yeah. I was, I was hearing about a, a woman the other day who worked in private equity for 20 years and just before the pandemic was beginning to feel sort of itchy questions about whether she'd done the right thing with her life and so on. And, and then the pandemic forced her to, she was furloughed, she was stuck at home and she, en- she ended up volunteering in a local, you know, sort of food bank and so on. 
and and now she i just i was just reading the story about her she's just given given up her job in private equity earning tons of money moving things around on bits of paper for profit and she set up a an animal sanctuary in the west of england or something and it's going off and living there and because a lot of people bought dogs during the pandemic and now they don't want them anymore and stuff so there's a lot of dogs on the free market so she's picking up that slack and stuff and it's one data point right it's one little story about someone pivoting somebody kind of veil ripped off our faces during the pandemic i think it's helped us to think really deeply about what matters and what is meaningful and what we want to remember when we look back on our deathbeds right do we want does she want to look back and remember 25 more years of private equity or does she want to remember 25 more years of living in beautiful part of rural england helping people helping animals she's loved has always loved animals and never had a dog because she was too busy with her job before now she's surrounded by them and you just think I read that and I'm not even that big a pet person. And I just thought, wow, I felt a little sort of lift of spirit. I thought well, there's one life that has course corrected yeah. thanks to the pandemic and hooray. I love that story. And for those of you who are listening, if you're contemplating that course correction, it's stories like this that give you the courage to maybe take that next step because life is short and we need to do things that light us up and we need to be with people that really matter. And on that point, Carl, you're one of those people for me. So thank you so much. <laughs> Likewise. People, I was just thinking, I was thinking the same thing, Sam. Thanks. <laughs> uh, really looking forward to seeing you. I am filled with a lot of optimism that we will be me together too. face to face. And I can't wait for the event, Upgrade Your Life. Yeah. Thank you so much. And it's 9.30 in the morning, your time now. So you have the whole day. My energy was good this morning. I had a lot of sports last night. I woke up today feeling great. I'm feeling even better now having chatted to you. So thanks very much. Awesome. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. As always, live consciously, my friends.